This evening, Psalm 72, Psalm 72 with me, please, as was just read a few moments ago, Psalm 72. In Romans 13, the Bible tells us that God ordained and appointed governing authorities for man's good. We are to be subject to those governing authorities, for if we resist them, we resist God and bring judgment on ourselves. But... What about when those governing authorities are corrupt or are not governing for the welfare of the people? What about when those governing authorities are selfish and sinful? How are we to be subject to corruption? I think it's for that reason Proverbs 14 verse 34 says that righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. It was nearly 30 years ago now that Robert Bork, who was a former U.S. Court of Appeals judge, wrote a book titled Slouching Towards Gomorrah, Liberalism and American Decline. That book was relevant in its day back in 1996, and perhaps some of you have read that book. And that book was prophetic in its day because the moral decline in our country has only digressed beyond what Bork even imagined. And today we live under civil authorities that are corrupt in personal practice and in public policy. We could spend the rest of our hour this evening identifying the case studies and current events and lamenting the consequences of those people and policies, and I even have some fresh examples from watching the news this afternoon. And I'm sure that your minds are are full of examples as well. So what do we do? As is the case with every civilization from every nation for all of human history, we long for leaders, for rulers, for governors who are righteous and just. And this evening I submit to you that Psalm 72 tells us of such a one. And that one is greater even than Solomon. Let me pause briefly for prayer and then we'll look at Psalm 72 together. God in heaven, we want all glory to be to Christ. For we know that he will someday rule and reign on the throne of David. And he will rule and reign in righteousness. And there will be peace on earth. Lord, in the meantime, I pray that you would keep our eyes focused, our attention fixed, not on the current events from the daily news, but on the promises that you have given in your covenants through the the course of Holy Scripture and your promises for things yet to come. We commit our study to you now from Psalm 72, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 72, if you were astute and you were following the, the reading of it a moment ago, we find that it's written often in the third person. But yet there's a superscription that begins Psalm 72 that tells us that Solomon is its author. Psalm 72 begins a psalm of Solomon, or perhaps your Bible reads of Solomon, the superscription there. That is, this psalm is a prayer of Solomon, a prayer of aspiration and expectation as he rules over the, as king over Israel. However, the superscription could be translated, it could read this way, a psalm for 
Solomon. That's a big difference. A psalm of Solomon or a psalm for Solomon. There are those who would argue Psalm 72 was written by David as a prayer for Solomon who needed God's help as he ruled as king over Israel. And those who would make that case would also point to verse 20 where in conclusion it says the prayers of David the son of Jesse are ended. Now, the explanation to verse 20 is that Psalm 72, verse 20, ends the second book of the Psalms. And you might notice there um, how that Psalm 73 begins book three of the Psalms. The Psalms are broken into five different books. That arrangement probably dates back to the days of Ezra the scribe when the, the Psalter was compiled. Most of book two in the Psalms, that's Psalm 42 to Psalm 72, are Psalms of David. And so it's reasonable that Psalm 72 would conclude with a statement regarding David's prayers being ended. And or Psalm 72 verse 20 refers to an earlier collection of the Psalms because 18 other Psalms after this are also attributed to to David. However, regardless of whether Psalm 72 is of Solomon or for Solomon, I, I think it's for Solomon, A reading of this psalm makes it clear that Psalm 72 portrays a king who is greater than Solomon. And that's what I printed there at the top of your notes. Psalm 72 portrays a king who is greater than Solomon. Who is the greater son of David? Who is the greater king than Solomon? Of course, Jesus Christ. Now, The problem is that nowhere in the New Testament is Psalm 72 specifically ascribed to that King Jesus. Nonetheless, we can conclude, as Charles Hodge did in his Systematic Theology, this, I've copied it for you there in the back of your notes. Listen as I I read. Charles Hodge says, The 72nd Psalm contains a description of an exalted king and of the blessings of his reign. These blessings are of such a nature as to prove that the subject of the psalm must be a divine person. One, his kingdom is to be everlasting. Two, universal. Three, it secures perfect peace with God and goodwill among men. Four, all men are to be brought to submit to him through love. Five, in him all the nations of the earth are to be blessed. The subject of this psalm is therefore the redeemer of the world. And so therefore, I want us to read Psalm 72 with a view that looks beyond Solomon to Jesus Christ, the one who is greater than Solomon, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Look again now, Psalm 72, beginning in verse number one, a psalm of Solomon or a psalm for Solomon. Verse number one, give the king your judgments, O God, and your righteousness to the king's son. He will judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice The mountains will bring peace to the people and the little hills by righteousness. He will bring justice to the poor of the people. He will save the children of the needy and will break in pieces the oppressor. Three different times in in verses one, two, and three, the word righteousness is used. Perhaps you can see it there. Verse one, verse two, verse three, making it clear that a characteristic, the chief characteristic of this king's rule is righteousness. That's number one, righteous rule. Righteous rule. Did Solomon rule in righteousness? Well, he did for a time in part. Turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 3. Keep your finger there in Psalm 72. Go with me to 1 Kings 
chapter number three. First Kings three, and allow me to read some of Solomon's reign. First Kings three, verse number six, let me pick up there. And Solomon said, you have shown great mercy to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in truth, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart with you. You have continued his great kindness for him, and you have given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. Solomon, of course, referencing himself. 1 Kings 3, verse number 7. Now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king instead of my father David. But I am a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to be numbered or counted. Therefore, give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? Verse 10. The speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. Then God said to him, because you have asked this thing and have not asked for long life for yourself, nor have asked riches for yourself, nor have asked the life of your enemies, but have asked for your self-understanding to discern justice, behold, I have done according to your words. See, I have given you a wise and understanding heart so that there has not been anyone like you before you, nor shall any be like you arise after you. And I have also given you what you have not asked, both riches and honor so that there shall not be anyone like you among the kings all your days. So if you walk in my ways to keep my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. Then Solomon awoke, and indeed it had been a dream, and he came to Jerusalem and stood before the ark of the covenant of the Lord, offered up burnt offerings, offered peace offerings, and made a feast for all of his servants. The, the following context you're familiar with, it records the occasion when Solomon exercised that divine wisdom to righteously settle a dispute between two women over a baby. The story is most familiar to us and it's iconic in, in illustrating Solomon's wisdom. He proposed cutting the baby in half to reveal the, the true mother of, of the baby, but unfortunately we know that in the, the course of time, Solomon turned away from the Lord. He followed after other gods, the gods of his 700 wives and 300 concubines. And in time, he, became, he, he began to oppress the people with high taxation and, and expansive building programs. And, and in time, the, the United Kingdom of Israel split into two became the divided kingdom, quite literally, northern ten tribes and the southern two tribes. And, and that's the way it is with human rulers. They're sinful and they're selfish and consequently citizens suffer. And that's the, the story of Solomon and his rule and reign in, in Israel. Back to Psalm 72. Back to Psalm 72. This psalm of Solomon or for Solomon is describing one with a righteous rule in verses one through four. Pick up in verse number five. They shall fear you as long as the sun and moon endure throughout all generations. He shall come down like rain upon the grass before mowing like showers that water the earth. In his days the righteous shall flourish and abundance of peace until the moon is no more. Now, this sounds very similar to what David said to his son Solomon in 2 Samuel 23. Listen to what King David said to his son King Solomon. He who rules over men must be just, 
ruling in the fear of God. And he shall be like the light of the morning when the sun rises, a morning without clouds, like the tender grass springing out of the earth by clear shining after rain. And, and maybe David wrote this for Solomon, or maybe Solomon is recounting what David said to him, or perhaps this is just the way the ancients talked, referencing their activity as, as some of the, the features of, of, of nature. It doesn't matter because the bigger claim of Psalm 72 verses 5 through 7 is that the king's rule and the king's reign would be, number two in your notes, an endless rule. It'll be a righteous rule. It'll be an endless rule. Verse number 7, Psalm 72 verse 7, until the moon is no more. Now think with me, David was king for 40 years. Solomon was king for 40 years. There have been many throughout history who have ruled in righteousness, perhaps for 40 years, but in every case their reign came to an end because those earthly rulers, those kings of the nations, died. And so for that reason, over the course of human history, it became common across every civilization to cry, oh king, live forever, or long live the king. Why? Because even a good king at some point concludes his rule and his reign. The king doesn't live forever. In some cases, the king doesn't even live very long at all. A, a bit of Bible trivia for you. We'll play a little game here tonight. A little bit of Bible trivia. What king of Israel reigned the shortest amount of time? Think of all of the kings of Israel in Judah, the shortest reigning ruling king of Israel. I'll give you a hint. A hint, he was from the tribe of Simeon. <laughs> Say, that's, that's no help, right? Um, all right, I'll give you another hint. He was the fifth king of the northern kingdom. Still not very helpful, is it? The shortest reigning ruling king in Israel, his name was Zimri. He lasted seven days. You can read about it in 1 Kings 16. There was a coup. There was an assassination plot. The palace burned. It's, it's good reading. Turn your notes over and, and look at what Charles Spurgeon has written. He says, we see on the shore of time the wrecks of the Caesars, the relics of the Mughals, and the last remnants of the Ottomans. Charlemagne... Maximilian, Napoleon, how they flit like shadows before us. They were and are not, but Jesus forever is. Verse number eight, there's a third stanza here in Psalm 72. Verse number eight, he shall have dominion also from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Those who dwell in the wilderness will bow before him and his armies will lick the dust. The kings of Tarshish and of the isles will bring presents. The kings of Sheba and Seba will offer gifts. Yes, all the kings shall fall down before him. All nations shall serve him. If verses one through four are describing righteous rule, if verses five through seven describe endless rule, till the moon is no more, then verses eight through 11 are describing universal rule. Universal rule, number three. Now, the geographic boundaries, verse number eight, if you're looking there, from sea to sea and to the ends of the earth. 
That speaks of the universal reach of this king's rule. And if any of that sounds familiar to to you, perhaps recently you have heard from the river to the sea. Have you heard that? Designating some boundaries from the river to the sea. Well, never mind from the river to the sea for Israel or for the Palestinians. Verse number eight, he shall have dominion also from sea to sea and from the river to where? To the ends of the earth. It's the universal reach of uh, of the king's rule. Verse number 11, look there. All kings shall fall down before him, all nations shall serve him. Folks, that's pretty comprehensive. That's pretty universal. Now we know that in Solomon's day, he did receive honor and tribute from other nations and other kings. We know that the the queen of Sheba brought gifts of gold for Solomon. But, but at no time did all the kings and nations serve Solomon. And so we're compelled to look forward to the one who is greater than Solomon, beyond Solomon, to Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Philippians 2, verses 9 through 11, I should have given it to you. You're familiar with the scripture. Philippians 2, 9 through 11 tells us that God has highly exalted Jesus so that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord all glory be to to Christ and God the Father. Revelation 11, verse 15, another reference, Revelation 11, 15, tells us that the the song that is sung in in, in heaven, the, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And so when we think forward to the one who is greater than Solomon, his rule is righteous, his rule is endless, his rule is universal. Verse number 12, for he will deliver the needy when he cries, the poor also and him who has no helper. He will spare the poor and needy, he will save the souls of the needy, he will redeem their life from oppression and violence and precious shall be their blood in his sight. I would give you number four, compassionate rule. Compassionate rule. It was years ago when George W. Bush was campaigning here in the state of Minnesota that our family was given some VIP tickets for exclusive access to the president's rally in Chanhassen. And and I've told you this story before. It was fun to be greeted by President George W. Bush and to have him hold our baby at the time Anna. And one of George Bush's campaign slogans, those of you that are politically savvy will remember, um, compassionate conservatism. You remember that? Compassionate conservatism. What that was was a, a political philosophy that promoted the general welfare of society by having the government partner with charities and faith based nonprofit organizations to meet the needs of people. And so he promoted a compassionate conservatism. Well, folks, I would submit to you that what we read in verses 12, 13, and 14 is the ultimate in compassion. The king who cares for those that are poor and needy or oppressed. And so we read verses 12, 13, and 14, and it's difficult for us to discern and apply. We, we think, is this describing the goal of socialism? Or is this 
a welfare state? Is this universal health care? Is this government housing, you see? What is being described in verses 12, 13, and 14? I'm convinced that the compassion that's described here will be executed with the righteousness from verses one through four. You see, we can't have one without the other, and and that's the difficult dilemma of every government program. What does compassion look like? I'll, I'll really stir the pot this evening. What does compassion look like on the southern border of our country? What does righteousness or justice look like on the southern border of our country? What would compassionate conservatism look like for some of these dilemmas? And we all have an opinion of how we could fix the matter, don't we? But if you find one who can rule righteously, verses one through four, whose rule is endless, not temporary, until the next turnover, the next term, verses five through seven, universal, recognized among the international community, verses eight through 11, and is compassionate, verses 12 through 14. Look at verse 15. And he shall live, and the gold of Sheba will be given to him. Prayer also will be made for him continually, and daily he shall be praised. There will be an abundance of grain in the earth, On the top of the mountains, its fruit shall wave like Lebanon, and those of the city shall flourish like grass of the earth. Um, His name shall endure forever. His name shall continue as long as the sun, and men shall be blessed in him. All nations shall call him blessed. I would call this number five, prosperous rule. Prosperous rule. And there are two aspects of, of prosperity, I believe, that are described here in these verses. First would be letter A, material prosperity. Look at verse 15 for the material. I, I, I see gold and the grain and the fruit in verse 16. These are indicators of prosperity in the ancient world. First Kings 10 records that the queen of Sheba brought gold to Solomon. She gave him 120 talents of gold or 4.5 tons with spices and precious stones as well. One source that I read this week put the value of that gold at nearly $260 million. $260 million the Queen of Sheba gave to Solomon. That's a lot of money. I guess on the other hand, our president gives away that much money on a regular basis, right? So maybe that's just what kings and presidents do. But... uh, a lot of material prosperity. The grain and the fruit, you see it there, were abundant even in places where grain and fruit don't grow. Where is that? Look at it, on the top of the mountains. And then the end of verse 16 tells us that even the urban centers will thrive. That's strange. We know what's happening in the urban core, urban centers in our country Today, there's going to be material prosperity, but then also, letter B, spiritual blessing. Spiritual blessing, the end of verse 17, reminds us of the promise God gave Abraham, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And of course, we know that blessing comes through Abraham's greatest seed, and that is Jesus. We are blessed with every spiritual blessing in in Christ, Ephesians 1 tells us. So there will be prosperity Although every politician for all of human history has promised 
health and wealth, prosperity, times will be better. Um, this will be the case in, in this, this kingdom, in this rule. Psalm 72 then concludes with a, a hymn of doxology, which I'm simply titling here, Benediction. Benediction, look at verse 18. Blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel, who only does wondrous things. And blessed be his glorious name forever, and let the whole earth be filled with, filled with his glory. Amen and amen. The benediction. Of course, then the curious line, verse 20, the prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are, are ended. I, I'd like to conclude as I began. I know your notes are complete, but there is no reason not to believe that Solomon wrote this psalm in aspiration and in expectation of his reign over Israel as king. It's what the text says. On the other hand, some believe that David wrote this psalm in aspiration and expectation of Solomon's reign. In either case, whether it's written by Solomon or whether it's written by David, why would Solomon or David write in this way, with this aspiration and with this expectation? And I submit it's because both Solomon and David expected Solomon's rule to be the fulfillment of God's covenant with David in 2 Samuel 7. So go with me quickly to 2 Samuel 7. 2 Samuel 7, and you're familiar with the, the Davidic covenant, the promise that God made to David regarding his throne and his kingdom, 2 Samuel. I'm sorry, I'm in 1 Samuel here. Let me make my way to 2 Samuel. Chapter number seven, let's pick up in verse number eight, 2 Samuel 7, verse eight. Now therefore, thus shall you say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the sheepfold, from following the sheep, to be a ruler over my people, over Israel. And I've been with you wherever you have gone and have cut off all your enemies from before you and have made you a great name, like the name of the great men who are on the earth. Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them that they may dwell in a place of their own and move no more. Nor shall the sons of wickedness oppress them any more as previously. Since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel and have caused you to rest from all your enemies, also the Lord tells you that he will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers... I will set up your seed after you, who will come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. If he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the blows of the sons of men. But my mercy shall not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from before you. And your house and your kingdom, your dynasty shall be established forever before you, and your throne shall be established forever according to all these words and according to all this vision, so Nathan spoke to David. And so I can imagine David or Solomon writing Psalm 72 with Solomon in mind because of God's covenant promise to David. However, in hindsight now, we recognize that this is clearly to be a messianic fulfillment. I think even in our adult Bible fellowship classes in this last quarter as we've worked our way through Isaiah and recently studying the, the messianic kingdom, the millennial kingdom. G. Campbell Morgan wrote that the kingdom described in Psalm 72 
is the kingdom for which the world waits. And so today, we pray for this world's kings and kingdoms. We're commanded to do, the, to, to do that in 1 Timothy 2. But today, we also pray for God's kingdom to come. And this is what it will look like in Psalm 72. I'm mindful of the words of Charles Colson when he spoke to a convention of evangelical Christians back in the day of the great President Ronald Reagan. Chuck Colson said, the kingdom of God does not arrive on Air Force One. And we need to remember that. Whatever the Lord may allow among us here in the West, in our own country, in our own nation, whoever may or may not be elected in the years to come, we ultimately look forward to the rule and reign of King Jesus. He is the one that is greater than Solomon. And someday he will rule and reign in righteousness, endless, universal, compassionate, and prosperous to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. God in heaven, we confess that we are frustrated and we are fearful. Lord, living in a fallen world under corrupt leadership, Lord, we are frustrated and we are fearful at the consequences of sin that's a reproach to any people group. Lord, we would pray that you would spare us, that you would preserve us by your mercy and grace. Lord, we pray for our leaders locally uh, across the state and certainly in Washington, D.C. Lord, that your hand would turn their hearts and that they might even unwittingly uh, rule in righteousness and make good judgment regarding policies and practices. But Lord, we are careful not to set our heart in man, but to fix our hope upon you. And as has been mentioned multiple times already this evening, we say, even so come, Lord Jesus. We look forward to serving King Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen.